Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports show from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Matt Chatterton. In the programme this week... A new Super Rugby winner will be crowned for the first time in this weekend's All New Zealand final. We talk to both the Hurricanes and the Highlanders, and we catch up with New Zealand Māori coach Colin Cooper after he names his 2015 squad. Several senior Silver Ferns are given the axe. We talk to coach Waitamonu. Last year's A-League MVP is leaving the Wellington Phoenix. The pink ball is making its way into Test cricket and causing some controversy. New Zealand WRC driver Hayden Padden is aiming for a top five finish in the Rally of Poland and Auckland professional golfer Ryan Fox has qualified for the third major of the year, the Open Championship. It's fever pitch in the capital this weekend as the Hurricanes host the Highlanders for the final of the Super Rugby competition. The visitors are confident they can continue their unlikely run to the final They've knocked over two very experienced sides so far in the playoffs and now come up against a similar team in the Hurricanes. As for the home side, they've had to cope with the buzz of hosting their first ever final. Neither team were picked by any pundits at the start of the season. Here's our rugby reporter, Barry Guy. This season's stats show two very similar teams, especially on attack. While both backlines have quality, exciting players capable of scoring tries from anywhere on the field. Up front, the Hurricanes appear to have the edge on paper, a half a dozen All Blacks in their pack, while the Highlanders have none. Hurricanes lock Jeremy Thrush says to get this far, the Highlanders' forward pack can't be underestimated. Some teams have been silly to underrate their forward pack. You know, I think we were in the same place at the start of the year. You know, everyone thought we had an awesome back line, but, you know, no one really uh, put anything into our forward pack and... I think both teams and both four packs have, uh, have kind of proved some people wrong in this competition, and you know we're bloody proud of that. And I know they'll be they'll be the same, and they want to finish off on a on a good note. The Highlanders coach Jamie Joseph has always said that while many of his players may not be household names, they do have the experience, and they've certainly shown composure in recent weeks, winning the two playoff games. We've done massive games, so we played the Chiefs here, and uh, all that excitement. The players have dealt with that, so they had that experience in the Flanders Sydney and had to deal with it again, so I think that could pay in our favour a little bit that we've had two massive games of rugby in two weeks, so we're prepared pretty well. The, the, the flip side of that is if we had injuries and stuff, which we haven't, so that's quite a good thing. And composure in the atmosphere of a final will be key for both teams. Jamie Joseph believes all the hype in Wellington surrounding the final may affect the Hurricanes more than them. Hurricanes coach Chris Boyd says there'll be no need to get his side up for this game. There's no emotional button. We need to keep clear minds and just make sure we stick to a process around what we need to do. The emotion, I mean, how, how can the emotion not take care of itself when you run out and there's 35,000 people at the Cake Tin and, and it's game on? So the emotion will naturally take care of itself. 
One of the key players for the Highlanders is their captain and fullback Ben Smith, who says he'll be telling his troops to enjoy themselves. Preparation's still the same, and you know if we want to get a result, we've still got to go out and do the same things we've been doing each week. And yeah, there's probably a bit more excitement knowing what the weekend's going to be like, but that's an exciting thing, and we're really looking forward to getting out there on Saturday. And the All Blacks coach Steve Hansen rather predictably didn't say who he thought would win, and instead he had more personal concerns, like preparing a team for the World Cup. I just know it'll be brutal, and I'm hoping like heck that none of our 17 get injured, and, and there'll be a new franchise winner for the first time, which will be exciting for those people that manage to do it. Both teams have played a final before, the Highlanders losing to the Crusaders in 1999, and the Hurricanes losing to the Crusaders in the fog in 2006. The Hurricanes beat the Highlanders twice this year, but the Highlanders have won on their last four trips to the capital. Barry Guy. The Māori All Blacks coach Colin Cooper has named 10 new caps in his 2015 squad to take on Fiji and the New Zealand Barbarians. The squad includes two sets of brothers in Marty and Damien McKenzie and Akira and Rico Ioani. The possible debutants in the Fords are Crusaders hooker Quinton McDonald, Waikato prop Josh Honick, Waikato lock Jacob Skeen and Blues and New Zealand under-20s loose forward Akira Ioani. In the backs, the uncapped players are Chiefs halfback Brad Webber, Chiefs first five Damian McKenzie, Hurricanes and New Zealand under-20s first five Oteddy Black, Taranaki and New Zealand under-20s midfielder Sean Wainui, Auckland outside back and New Zealand sevens player Rico Ioani, and Taranaki outside back Cody Ray. The Māori All Blacks coach Colin Cooper says he's excited about the new lineup of young players. Players that we've developed over the last couple of years have gone into super teams and gone into All Blacks, which is the real role of this team. Uh, we certainly want it to be the high-performance team, um, and we have uh, we have done that. As you'll see with our selections, there are a number of young, up-and-coming players, not just for the future of Māori rugby, but for New Zealand rugby. Colin Cooper says while his key role is helping develop today's Māori All Blacks. He also hopes to inspire future players as well. So we feel that as a, as a goal of ours is to influence Māori youth and youth in New Zealand to, to aspire to play the game and to play for Māori rugby. So it's important that people that we have in this team are influencing uh, these young men to, to play the game. So that's an important part of what we're about also. The Māori All Blacks will take on Fiji on July 11 in Suva and the New Zealand Barbarians on July 18 at Eden Park. The Silver Fern squad has been named for Netball's World Championships in Sydney in August, and there are three shock omissions. Shooter Catherine Latu and veteran midquarters Jolene Henry and Liana Leota have been dropped. Silver Fern's captain Casey Kapua has made it after recovering from a serious knee injury in October, and while there's just one new cap in the squad, the emphasis is on rejuvenation for Fern's coach Waimarama Tamonu. And as Richard Wayne found out, spots were still up for grabs in the final trial game the day before the team was named. 20-year-old Waikato Bay of Plenty shooter Malaya Paseka only forced her way in on her performance in the Possibles versus Probables trial. Waitamonu told Extra Time that changes were necessary, but only the best players made the final cut. When we have our two pinnacle events, the Commonwealth Games and the World Cup, so close together, the um, Commonwealth Games often helps you and gives you lessons going forward to the World Cup. So 
we weren't successful there. We've had to learn from it, and um, one of the things I felt was really important was that we had to make some changes. And a lot of the changes, I suppose, are bringing in these fresh faces, aren't they? Freshening the squad up, is that part of it, yeah? Absolutely. That's part of the change, and I felt it was necessary that we made change, but they are not here for change's sake. They are here because they were the best players over the last three days, and I'm, I'm just pleased that that ties in with uh, the philosophy going in. Um, there are some unknown quantities, the athleticism of them, the youth, and there's a general air of enthusiasm about them that's contagious, so really excited. Obviously you've jettisoned two veterans, or I won't call Catherine a veteran, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean they're the biggest casualties. Is that, is that the toughest part of your job, not just making the picks, but perhaps having to tell the players? Did you tell the players yourself? I always tell the players myself, Brilliant. yes, it's yeah. the... Oh, I would say it's the hardest part of all of it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How did, how did they take it? Kat, I remember yesterday was just on Crowd Goes Wild saying, it's going to be pretty tired, I hope I make it, you know, and she must be so disappointed. They all are yeah. hugely disappointed because they want to go to a world championship and they want to be silver ferns. However, they understand the rationale. and It doesn't make the disappointment any less. But we do have a conversation about why, and I like to think I always make sense, even though the message isn't one that they want to hear. What was it you told Kat? Uh, a few people have said that perhaps she was struggling against the likes of Laura Geitz, and maybe they'd worked her out a bit. That isn't the conversation that I had with Catherine, actually. So we did pick on form from these trials. It was... Um, an open invitation and people were asked to turn up here and give us reasons to select them. So yesterday um, and across the um, period we've been collecting statistics and basically the issues that, we, that Catherine was finding in the ANZ about slightly lower volume than others, although her accuracy was good, volume was a little bit low, error rate was a little bit high and rebounding wasn't as good as the others. So in the end the combined effectiveness on court meant that two other people got the nod ahead of her. Now I believe Leanna Liotto was sacrificed a lot to get back here and, and try and make this squad Obviously, heartbreak for her. Why was she behind the uh, other candidates who've made it? Primarily, she is a wing attack, so there are people in here who are a little bit more versatile. They play a better centre game, so that was one one thing. In a tournament, um, versatility is important. And the second thing was those people who were in contention, more specialist wing attacks, fundamentally turned up in great physical shape. There was a lot of competition for spots, and Liana was just slightly behind in that area. The fact that Kayla Cullen can cover wing defence and goal defence work in her favour? Yeah, in the end, Kayla's versatility, because she also ran at centre through the trials, that was what counted in her favour. These are marginal calls. It's easy for me to, to talk about them, but it, it's a matter of inches. Yeah, and Jolene Henry, obviously, maybe the one that Kayla edged out? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's tough. Well, you lose a lot of experience there with um, Jolene and Liana in the midcourt. You're confident you've got enough cover? Yes. Um, as I say, the um, athleticism and enthusiasm and just fearlessness of this group is really invigorating. And I guess that brings up Malia Paseka quite well, doesn't it? The <laughs> it 20 does. years old, and here she is, the bolter, I suppose. Oh, indeed. And look, uh, that was a big question mark for yesterday's possible probables. It was probably the biggest question going into that game. Who was going to come out? She was given equal court time, the same lineups. You know, she was put under the same stress as um, Catherine and Bailey, and in the end stood up. And that was the question mark, and she answered it pretty emphatically yesterday. Wow, because I heard you saying that it was going right down to the final day, the final trial day for a few spots and it actually did. Oh, indeed, and particularly that one. And I think it was pretty obvious by the lineups and a couple of other things that that was the case. And I think, therefore, for her to withstand what was pretty obviously a test and to come through it with such fine colours um, is a tribute to her potential, indeed. Yeah, wow. I mean, only 20, and here she is, you know, at the World Cup. Well, absolutely, and she, she did really well. And, and I guess my question mark was not volume, because she's always been easy to get the ball to, it was accuracy, and she really stood up in that department last night.
does, um, I mean, again, I guess she's quite versatile as well, Malia. She's can cover a goal shoot and goal attack. Once again, more, more pluses for her. Yeah, the, the versatility. So the, all of the, um, the four shooters that we've taken in this group have played both goal attack and goal shoot during the trials and all have some experience. Maria probably less experience at goal shoot in recent times, but they've all got experience um, in both positions. Casey Corpua. Yeah. It must be so good to have her back in the fold and, and fit and well and firing, is she? Um, probably not at the level that she wants to be. Certainly one of the most effective defenders we had on the court during trials. But um, I know Case has got some things that she wants to improve in the next uh, three weeks, four weeks, and we've got time to do that. But the fact that she's fit, healthy and on the court and got games under her belt, um, they're all things that we weren't even sure were going to happen. So that is fantastic. Is it more like game time and fitness that she's got to build up now? Uh, game time and change of direction speed, really. Um, you know, the other thing she's done a really good job on, but it's just getting back on the court and getting those small netball-specific skills going. Yep, OK. Because she has been out for a long time. I mean, it's pretty amazing <laughs> she's actually made it back on court in the ANZ, let alone for the World Cup. It's incredible. Actually, yeah. it's a real tribute to how hard she worked. Mm. Yeah. She has got that grit and determination, that fire. I guess that's one of the reasons she's your captain. Uh, absolutely. And, look, it's the World Champs. There's... Fane come along once every four years. Um, she turned 30 last month. She worked really hard because the possibility that there would be one more in her, even though people like Sonia McClomer and Liana have done five, you always have to make sure that you do the ones you can because you never know what the future holds. Okay, brilliant. All right, look, it wouldn't be a, a, a netball interview without a question about Australia and the Diamonds, would it? Their dominance has been pretty astounding yeah. over the Ferns and indeed the Australian uh, netballers in the ANZ. Um, I spoke to you, I think it was last week, about uh, how we break that a dominance. You said it's seven players on the court yep. against seven on the day. Anything yep. can happen. Absolutely. Yep. But I, I, look, on the day, anything can happen. And in World Championships, anything can happen. I felt it was important that we picked a team on form. There is no doubt, however, that the Australians and the English have picked very conservative, very experienced groups. We have gone against that train of thinking. And there is an element of risk here. I, I'm not foolish, I, I recognise that. But it's exciting and exhilarating, and we have picked a team that's going to try and win this rather than a team that's going to go and compete. The Wellington Phoenix have lost the A-League's Player of the Year striker Nathan Burns. Burns is set to join Japanese club FC Tokyo, subject to a medical check. The club's general manager, David Dome, says they expected to lose Burns after he won the Johnny Warren medal for best player, and coach Uni Merrick has been on the lookout for another striker, although they're unlikely to sign one soon. Dome says they received a transfer fee for Burns, but that doesn't mean they can now spend up large. It doesn't necessarily help at all. So what happens at the start of the year, we set the budget for what we are going to spend on players, and that's the amount that we're going to spend on players. And we'd already put aside a healthy amount for, for Nathan Burns, and so that money now will be transferred to uh, the new striker. So the fact that, I mean, he was one of your, your obviously reasonably high up your pay scale, that, that is obviously a, still a, it gives you some room to manoeuvre. Yes, that's right. There'll, there'll be, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a decent amount there to, for, we need to look around for another player. How close did this one or other ones got to, to Tokyo? Because there was obviously a fair bit of talk a few months back about possibly moving to China. How many other offers were floating around? Uh, it's not a question of how many other offers that was floating around. Uh, we've just done a deal with, with FC Tokyo and we, we can't comment any more on that. Ernie's obviously had a few people on his radar. How close are you to finding a replacement? Oh, look, I don't think it's going to be soon. I think Ernie will take his time and get the right player. Uh, Ernie's very, very strong on on taking his time and making sure we get the right player who's going to be the right fit for the club. So he won't just run out and grab somebody. He'll, 
he'll he'll take his time and get the right player. And I know he's been looking, you know, for some time, and he's had a, he's been looking at a number of players. And I, you know, I'm I'm 100 confident that, that Ernie will get a player that be, that, that'll be right for the club. Ernie's also said that finding a, a top-notch striker is is hard, and there's not a lot around. So, how is that surge going? Oh, look, I think it's going well. He's the one, and. Uh, Sean Gill, the football operations manager, the two ones that are leading that. Um, and like I say, I know they've got a number of people on their radar. Um, and he's got a lot of contacts around the world as well that he that he used to sort of vet and screen players. And so, like I say, confident that he'll come up with a, a quality player. Are there any serious discussions going on at present? There's, well, there's a number of discussions going on. I can't tell you how serious they are. I mean, that's something you have to ask Uni, but, you know, I, I, can say, I can tell you that he's got a, he's talking to some people, yes. Archie Thompson, is he a candidate? No, I don't think so. I think Archie's um Uni was looking for Archie and did you know, had made it public that you know, he admires the player, but I think Archie wants to stay in, in Melbourne. Um what, what tends to happen is we put an offer on the table, if the if the offer's not accepted right away, we just move on. We're not we 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 make fair and reasonable offers to players and if the player doesn't want to accept that then uh, we move on and try and find a player that, that does want to be at the club and, and that we can afford. And you're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports show from Radio New Zealand Sport. The Black Caps and Australia will play a historic day-night test match as part of a seven-year test schedule between the two sides. The match, which will be played in Adelaide in November, will use a pink ball rather than the standard red ball in the five-day format and as part of a three-test series with prize money of $1 million. The pink ball has caused quite a stir between both nations. Australian Mitchell Stark, who is the number one bowler in ODIs, has expressed his displeasure at the new colour, saying it's too hard to see from the boundary at night. New Zealand players have also shared their scepticism, but are willing to trial it against the world champions. Aside from test matches, the deal includes the rebirth of the Chapel Hadley series, which will be played eight times over the next seven years. The deal is seen as a significant breakthrough for New Zealand Cricket Chief Executive David White, who says it will help build a better relationship with Cricket Australia. We haven't had a Chapel's Hadley series against Australia for five years, and we haven't had a test match for four years. What normally happens in the Future Tours program is that it's generally every four years you have a test series against someone, so um, I'm, I'm very comfortable with the content. It's a lot more cricket with Australia, more than we've ever had before. David White says thanks to the Black Caps' recent run of good form on the international stage, New Zealand cricket has a lot more voice around the negotiating table. New Zealand Cricket Players Association Chief Executive Heath Mills says while the players have their reservations about the day-night test format, they understand it's about the future development of the game. We need to be acting in the best interest of the whole sport. And when you look at this seven-year deal that David and the team have been able to negotiate, that's fantastic. So, you know, we need to give day-night test cricket a go. Um, in the context of the deal, it's a good thing for our sport. The agreement also restores the Chapel Hadley one-day competition, which was last contested in 2010, much to the delight of Sir Richard Hadley. From the family point of view, to have the Chapel Hadley series resurrected is quite significant and we're very pleased to see that and we congratulate David and his team in negotiating the resurrection of the Chapel Hadley series and the fact that it's going to be around certainly for the next seven or eight years, David, I think is a tremendous thing for us. As a traditionalist, Sir Richard Hadley admits he has his doubts about playing day-night tests, but says the game is evolving and is pleased the Black Caps will be part of history. The pink ball test starts in Adelaide on November 13th. Meanwhile, spin bowler Ish Sodi and all-rounder Colin Munro have been dropped from the Black Caps' contracted player list. 
New Zealand cricket's list for next year includes one newcomer in all-rounder Mitchell Santner, while two players, pace bowler Doug Bracewell and all-rounder Grant Elliott, return to the top 20. At 36, Grant Elliott's international career was thought by many to be over until his World Cup heroics showed he was still able to perform at the top level. New Zealand Cricket's operations manager, Lindsay Crocker, says just because a player has a contract doesn't mean they're in automatic selection. It's all the opportunity for others to press their claims over ensuing months, and Grant, of course, needs to keep on his mettle. So these contract lists don't guarantee future selection. So it's a snapshot in time, really, and he's been rewarded with a strong performance over the last 12 months. New Zealand Cricket's Lindsay Crocker. Also missing from last year's contract list is Kyle Mills, who's retired from international cricket. The New Zealand driver Hayden Padden is hoping to build on his history-making result when he hits the gravel for this weekend's World Rally Championship event in Poland. Padden took second place at the Rally of Italy last month to become the first New Zealander to finish second in a WRC event outside of New Zealand. The 28-year-old's result in Sardinia was the best ever by a New Zealander in a full World Rally Championship event. The Hyundai driver had been in first place midway through the rally, but relinquished the lead on the penultimate day when he spun and stalled and also hit a rock, badly damaging his car. He's the first New Zealander to ever lead a WRC event. Patton says this weekend's Rally Poland features fast, sandy roads, similar to New Zealand, which should suit his driving style. Joe Porter caught up with the Geraldine-born driver, who's aiming for a top-five finish in Poland. Definitely, obviously, uh, a bit more confident, I guess, uh, after Sydney. But at the same time, it's uh, it almost uh, lifts a bit of pressure off us uh, in order to, you know, to perform and prove to the team what we can do. So in that sense, I think we come into this rally a little bit more relaxed. Uh, we're just going to go into it with the same approach that we have done uh, the previous events: is um, come and do our own thing, um, do a good job with the preparation and the pace notes, and then uh, naturally uh, let it happen come come uh, race day. And I guess your sport naturally doesn't allow you to become complacent because just like you saw in Italy, you know, you, know, you could be at the, at the top and then all it takes is for a couple of little mishaps or a bit of bad luck or misfortune and, and it's a fickle sport, that's for sure. Oh, it is. And, and just because we had a good result in Sydney, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen that easily on other events, you know, from one rally to another. The conditions are, are contrasting. You've got different road surfaces. You've got a different character of roads and between Poland and, and Italy, it's two completely different types of uh, rallies and, and roads. Uh, if anything, Poland does suit us better. But in saying that, you know, um, everyone else will be going very quickly here as well. And, and often on very fast rallies like this, uh, the competition is quite close. So we're just going to stay focused and, and do what we normally do. We're not going to change anything. And, uh, uh, you know, we're hoping for a strong result, but we're not, not going to go chasing it just yet. So this is probably the, the first uh, smooth gravel event we have of the year. Um, quite comparable to parts of New Zealand where you've got nice, smooth, flowing roads. Uh, you've got a bit of room that you can move around on, on both uh, the entries and the exits. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's more of a driver's rally where you can really attack and, and, uh, and try and find the limits a, a bit more. Um, okay, the, the road surface here is a little bit softer, so we may find on, on the repeat runs in the afternoon that it becomes a little bit more rutted and, and chopped up. But certainly the first pass would be uh, quite nice. The comparable conditions to New Zealand must excite you. Oh, definitely. No, I think the roads here this year are, are looking a lot faster and a lot harder than what they were uh, last year. And uh, for sure, in some parts during reconnaissance, you'd look up at the road in the countryside and you think you're in the back blocks of uh, some of the roads in the South Island. So it's, it feels like home in places. Uh, I, I love all the stages here, in fact, and they really suit us. Uh, but as I say, at the same time, a lot of other drivers also enjoy these sort of roads. So 
it doesn't mean that we're going to have a good result. We've obviously got to keep working hard and um, try and play the card that works into our hands of the, of the fast roads. And Patton has started Rally Poland with a 13th place finish on the first day's one and only stage. He says he was trying to conserve his tyres for day two when the racing begins in earnest. The New Zealand professional golfer Ryan Fox has qualified for the British Open later this month. The world number 208 and New Zealand's number two played in a pre-open qualifying event at the Gailey's Lynx Golf Course in Scotland. Needing to finish inside the top three out of the 72-man field, Fox fired rounds of 69 and 71 to finish in a tie for second. Fox is the only New Zealander to have qualified for the third major of the year. It's also the first major the Aucklander will compete in. The two-time winner on the PGA Tour of Australasia has enjoyed two top ten finishes in the second-tier Challenge Tour in Europe, where he has been competing for less than a month. The 144th Open Championship is being held at St Andrews in Scotland, and I asked Fox what it's going to mean to him teeing it up at the home of golf. Obviously it's a dream come true to, you know, to be able to play a major, and, and secondly, as you said, it's the home of golf. It's, you know, if you could give golfers any golfer worldwide a course to play, they'll probably pick St Andrews or Augusta and you know, to be able to play St Andrews in the best condition possible and you know, I guess the pinnacle of, of our sport is, is just awesome. Um, and uh, getting to play in Europe uh, must be a nice change. I, I mean, I remember you saying you weren't a massive fan of China when you went over to play there. Um, do you enjoy European courses more than, uh, more than Asian courses? Yeah, I hadn't been here until two weeks ago, and um, I've really enjoyed my my first two weeks in Europe. I haven't seen much other than some golf courses and and a little three hour walk around Paris, but um, it's been yeah awesome experience. And um, I guess the golf courses over here, in terms of grasses and stuff, are a lot more like we get back home. Um, and I definitely enjoy that. I, I always struggled in, in China and Asia a little bit with some of the different grasses we play on. Um, yeah, but enjoying the style of course over here, the style of golf, and um, yeah, just got a few more weeks over here, and obviously, you know, get to cap it off with the Open. And uh, just uh, speaking of the Open, obviously, uh, Lynx style golf course, you couldn't get any more Lynx at St Andrews. We don't have many Lynx courses in New Zealand, but do you think uh, Lynx suits your game at all? Uh, it's, it's hard to say, really. I mean, yeah, as you said, we, I'll, probably Caraparam's one of our only real true Lynx style golf golf courses in terms of um, you know playing firm and fast and um, and you know all the undulations and everything like that um, I've you know had good success around power per annum as an amateur and I guess I think I imagine the sand belt in Melbourne is is fairly similar in terms of firmness and and everything like that and I've always enjoyed that style of golf so you know hopefully um, Hopefully, I, I enjoy Lynx golf at St Andrews. Indeed, indeed. Hey, uh, lastly, mate, uh, just uh, expectations for the Open Championship. What sort of do you hope to get out of the tournament? Uh, I, to be honest, mate, I really haven't got that far. It almost it hasn't sunk in yet. To to be brutally honest, it's, I'm just, I guess, looking forward to to the experience and, um, you know, obviously to make the cut would be. You know, off the top of my head would be would be a great thing, and um, you know, I guess I that'd be great. But I'm just you know grateful to be up there and and to experience my first major and and to be able to play at the home of golf.
The Open Championship gets underway from July 16. And that's our show for this week. Feedback is welcome via Twitter and our email, sport at radioNZ.co.nz. We'll be back next week with extra time. I'm Matt Chatterton. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.